Welcome to Ariana Answers. I'm Dr. Ariana Brandolini, a clinical psychologist who lives in New York City. Every week, I answer a life question submitted by a listener like you. In the second season of my podcast, I want to unpack anxiety around situations in life we find ourselves in. Each episode will have two parts. One where I break down the situational anxiety we experience, and the other where I have an expert in the field give us some advice. Would you like your question answered? Head over to the description of this video to submit. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. When you're having a fight with your significant other, who are you turning to? I have encountered this with several people that I work with, where they're like, I have no one to talk to except for you. And I'm like, I'm honored you talked to me about it, but let's try to build more people into your life. Dear Dr. Ariana, I'm a leader in a certain industry and feel pulled in many directions by different people. My anxiety makes it hard to say no because I have major FOMO, so I don't invest in relationships that really do count. Sometimes I get caught up in appearances and feel like being seen as being friends with certain groups is really attractive, but when I feel depleted and the loneliness sets in, I think that I'm investing in the wrong people. I'm not sure I even know what friendship should look like because the anxiety and confusion friendship brings, sometimes it doesn't even feel worth it. Let me first off say, dear listener, that it is absolutely worth it. And here are some reasons why. A clinical review of nearly 150 studies on friendship found that people with strong social ties had a 50% better chance of survival, regardless of age, sex, health status, and cause of death than those with weaker ties. So they follow 300,000 people for a period of like eight years and people who had strong social connections were 50 times more likely to still be alive. 50% more likely, not 50 times. In fact, according to researchers, the health risk of having a few friends is similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and more dangerous than being obese and not exercising in terms of decreasing your lifespan. And keep in mind, this is real friends, not Facebook friends or followers on Instagram. Because actually superficial, distant, and less meaningful friendships can actually lead to feelings of insecurity and loneliness, which can actually increase illness and likelihood of death just as much as obesity, alcoholism, and smoking. So that means that the key isn't to have more friends. The key isn't to, ha to have a ton of them, right? The key is to maybe have three or four really, really good friends. And then of course, plenty of people who are fun to be around and you can have some fun with, and they result in a mutually beneficial relationship and share common interests, right? We want plenty of those too. So you don't need to be less friendly you just need to nurture the most important relationships in your life, my dear listener. But people who deal with clinical anxiety often struggle with friendships. However, they're often not doing as bad as they think they are. Okay, so interpersonal functioning, which means relationships with other people, is the most common worry topic for people with generalized anxiety disorder. Those who have generalized anxiety disorder believe that they have fewer friends and have a biased social judgment regarding their negative impact on others. So they view themselves as less effective in interpersonal relationships. People who have 
more social anxiety disorder, right? Anxiety based in that's solely focused on interacting with other, other people tend to assume that their friendships are not high quality and that their friends don't like them. However, there's a problem with this perception because according to research, their friends don't necessarily agree. So people with anxiety tend to assume that they're coming across much worse than they actually are. So that gives us hope, right? It gives us hope and perspective that your anxiety doesn't have to actually dictate what's truth. Truth might be completely outside of that. So why does this happen? And that's because anxiety can train your brain to hold on to negative memories. When you're anxious, your body is under a lot of stress. Stress actually shrinks an area in your brain called the hippocampus, which is part of the brain that processes long-term and contextual memory, okay? When it shrinks, it becomes much more difficult for your brain to hold on to memories. But here's the tricky part. Anxiety tricks the hippocampus into thinking that memories related to anxiety are safe to store and remember. So the few memories that you do hold on to tend to be anxiety related. So in other words, anxiety wires your brain to remember failure, threat, danger, and all that fun stuff. Happier memories like success and achievement and safety are buried deep in your brain's basement. So some good information to build some self-awareness. Let's talk about what healthy friendships actually look like. And a lot of people I work with struggle with this because in New York, especially as a city, it's a very transient city. It's very socially based. And so people might have a lot of people in their life but it's a struggle to actually build a genuine connection. There's tons of really wise and common sense things that people talk about about what is a good friendship. But I like research, okay? So I'm gonna talk about what the research says. So there's a guy who's a developmental psychologist called Yuri Bronfenbrenner, and he talks about the ecological systems model of development, okay? This is how he tries to classify what is deemed a close friend. So this model recognizes that we don't operate in isolation. Instead, we're part of a huge social ecological system, right? Within the system, there are also microsystems. That's made up of people, their activities, their relationships with one another, and the roles that they play. We each have our own unique ecological ecosystem that then overlaps with other people's, right? Within our microsystem, we have family, we have spouses, we have friends. And friendships in research have been defined as a relationship based on mutual respect, appreciation, and liking. People are a bit confused about definitions of friendship. They're kind of all over the map, but this is one of the basic and trusty ones. Some of our friendships are closer than others. They're based in they are all voluntary, they have vulnerability, and they also have a possibility of deteriorating or ending, right? However, friendships are very, very important to our mental well-being, as I mentioned. So, how do we maintain our friendships? 
Research by this guy called Oswald looks at how we maintain our friendships and has found that there's four key maintenance behaviors that sustain and deepen a close friendship. So those of you who are kind of like, I don't know how to really do this, these are some four of the qualities that this research has come out with, okay? The four things are positivity, supportiveness, openness, and interaction. So friendships that are regularly that regularly and instinctively apply these forms of maintenance have the strongest friendship and emotional intimacy. Okay, so let's look at each of these qualities. So positivity. That doesn't necessarily mean like that you're a positive people together, but this is where the relationship is rewarding because you feel positive emotions in it. There's positive conversations and behaviors and activities that are beneficial to both friends. It has been demonstrated that everyday interactions with another person results in positive outcomes like feeling comfortable, being emotionally positive, and then also buffers stressful situations. Additionally, when we have someone who we consider a close friend, we want to tell them when something positive happens. So this creates kind of a convergence of emotions where both of you are kind of getting boost in positive feelings because you're sharing a win together, right? This is called empathic happiness. And this is a common bond amongst friends when one of you achieves something, right? Would you like me to read your letter? Click on the description of this video to submit your question. The next one is supportiveness. What does that mean? True friendships provide assurance that they're there for us when we need someone. This is very important. And it's been found that best friends share the support equally, which creates sort of a self-other agreement. Each friend perceives their friend as part of them in a way, right? So they supply us with functional support, gives us resources for emotional support, informational support, tangible support, like material aid if we need it and belonging. So importantly, the perception of social support is the one that really, really counts, okay? So they supply us with functional support, gives us resources for emotional support, informational support, tangible support, like material aid if we need it, and belonging. So importantly, the perception of social support is the one that really, really counts, okay? So simply believing that you have someone that's got your back enhances satisfaction and well-being. Number three, openness. This is where both friends feel safe to disclose information that is personal and sensitive. They feel like they can be authentic with one another. Authenticity is important. Studies have found that, when, that actually we as human beings are pretty good at telling when someone's being inauthentic. So even if we look at pictures where people have authentic smiles or inauthentic smiles, we can usually clock it pretty easily. So these trigger a message of whether we can trust the person or whether we should kind of pump the brakes and be cautious because this person doesn't really mean what they say. People who report having a best friend but they don't feel like they can be open and intimate with them have higher rates of depression. Research shows this. Lastly, interaction. To have a friendship, you gotta spend some time together. You gotta interact, right? You gotta do some joint activities. Friendships that end up having very little interaction end up weakening over time and they kind of compete out. So being physically in the same place can be really helpful, but then in this day and age of technology, we're able to be better connected, which is really awesome for friendships. 
when people have best friends, research indicates that they're more comfortable with people in general. They have higher interpersonal happiness than those with kind of mental health issues that have difficulties making friendships. You find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. So when two people kind of come together and they, they're close, they also have something called similar regulatory processes, which means that they actually will both feel similar emotions. They kind of tune into each other. So really good friends will gain enjoyment by being together more than if you're kind of doing the same event and same thing with like a random stranger, right? So we can see how friendships are really important. Oftentimes the people I work with are more concerned with romantic relationships, finding partners in that way. But I always harp on how important friendships are. One of the things that's really hard is that with romantic relationships, there's kind of this immediate gratification, right? Friendships take some time and they take investment, but to be honest, they're usually there for the long haul, right? Romantic relationships can come and go much easily than usually genuine friendships do. And so, as I mentioned, especially in New York City or in cities in general, loneliness just is getting higher and higher because there's very little genuine connection. And so it's a really important thing to actually invest in and important thing to be intentional about. Dr. John Townsend recently released a book that's awesome. It's called People Fuel. And he talks about the importance of the people that we have in our life and the fuel they provide to us. And he talks about how often our relational needs are neglected because we spend a lot of time looking at our, um, no, sorry. And he talks about how often our relational needs are very neglected because we're so focused on other things, right? Other needs being met, whether it's work needs, physical needs, practical needs. It's very hard to actually say, wait a minute, I feel like I just need relationship right now. Um, and the idea is really simple. We need to need each other. All the research shows that this is true, right? People are fuel that help us grow. And so what we want is the right kind of fuel in our gas tanks to help us be healthy and to help us prosper. So. This is more than a luxury, this is absolutely crucial. For example, you don't put off meals for a month, right? Because you need it to fuel your body. You also should put off connections because they're fuel for your soul. Also, to be the highest, you know, to be the best person possible, you need the best fuel possible, right? You don't wanna put junk food in your body. We also, we're always looking for inspiring books to fill our minds with. Uh, we're always looking for the best exercise routine. You also want to be around the best people that you have available. Why don't we express this need, right? Why don't we talk about how lonely we are and how much we actually need other people? Several things. It feels weak. Saying like, I need something from you. Well, saying I need something from you is much easier than actually saying I need you. I need to just connect with you. Right? It makes us feel weak, it makes us feel incomplete and helpless. We don't like that. It, sometimes we feel selfish. Sometimes we feel like just asking people to connect is like a self-centered thing, right? 
or we have trust issues. That's a lot of people. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of painful relationships in which we've learned that trusting people or being vulnerable can cause hurt and rejection. And so our response is to isolate, to build up walls, or to just be a perpetual giver because that prevents us from being vulnerable. And it also, we think it kind of keeps people around because we keep on giving out, right? Another thing is shame. Ooh, shame is feeling that a part of us is defective and that we can't be accepted or loved. We also don't feel deserving. And so we refrain from asking people to connect because we don't believe that we deserve that or that they think we deserve that. And we're also concerned about burdening other people. Guys, we need more than just a spouse or a partner. We need multiple people because different people will actually need different parts of us and different needs, right? When you're having a fight with your significant other, who are you turning to? I have encountered this with several people that I work with where they're like, I have no one to talk to except for you. And I'm like, I'm honored you talked to me about it, but let's try to build more people into your life, right? I wanna talk about something called internalization. So internal, internalization, that's a tongue twister. It's a non-conscious mental process by which the characteristics, beliefs, feelings, and attitudes of other individuals or groups are assimilated into ourself and adopted as our own, okay? So psychologists call this process internalization meaning that humans take in and internalize good things from other humans that actually start to become part of our own character. Just as roots from a tree draw nutrients from a soil, right? We're constantly internalizing. So we can either internalize healthy things like grace and support and wisdom and love, or they can be toxic like judgment, shame and control. Right, going back to Yuri Braun from Brenner when he talks about the ecological systems model. We're influenced by other people's systems and it becomes part of our own. And science has discovered that the best, it's best to internalize things from others through experience, right? So when a relationship is sufficiently important to someone, they feel some sort of interest and emotion and then that transfer happens, right? So, you need the highest grade relational fuel to achieve a great life. That makes sense that you also need to identify with the right kind of people to provide that fuel. And that is your responsibility. Not everyone in the world is the right person to provide you with the right nutrients. So, people might be our primary source of growth in many ways, but unfortunately there's some better qualified people than others. So, for example, it's not fair to expect someone in a crisis to actually be able to put out and support you. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure you might have also experienced this, that you have coffee with someone and you feel like afterwards you can take on the world, right? You can kick butt, you feel so energized. And then there are other ones that you come out of it and you're like, oh, I feel like I need to take a nap, right? Finding and engaging with these right people is not an accident, guys. It's a mistake to just assume that the people around us today are gonna to happen to be the right ones and that they're just gonna be able to connect without any effort. So like anything else in life, it takes intentionality. It means you need to think about this and take some action steps. In John Townsend's book, he talks about um, 
different categories of different types of relationships that I think is really, really helpful in getting us to start to conceptualize this. How do we invest in the right relationships? How do we know what that looks like? He talks about the seven C's of relationship. And that should be helpful in helping you be a bit more intentional and clear about knowing how to spend your time. So the summary of them hanged ranked highest to lowest. Number one, coaches. These are individuals who engage with us, mentor us, and develop us, guide, direct us. A coach can be pro bono, which is great, or they can be paid, like a therapist, a psychologist, a coach, and they have three qualities. They have, they are subject matter experts on an area in which you're interested. So whether it's leadership, emotional health, parenting, spiritual growth, physical training. Number two, they know how to coach. They know how to actually help you get from point A to point B and help you grow as an individual. And number three, they don't have any personal need for you as a friend or a buddy. That's great, but having time with them is all about you and we all need those inputs in our life. Number two, comrades. This is your life team, guys. These are the three to 10 individuals who know all about you, they accept you fully, but they can also tell you tough truths when you need to hear them. They're also fully involved in your growth. They're vulnerable with you. They wanna help you as well as you help them. It's a mutual improvement. Comrades can be a group of you people together. It can be a bunch of individuals or it can be a hybrid. Number three, casuals. These are friends, people that you have a good positive relationship with. Maybe your kids are on the same soccer team or um, you have a mutual interest group. There's someone in your yoga class. Um, you go to the same events. Casuals help us experience, experience being in the moment, enjoying life. Um, they also are a farm team for potential life members, right? Life team members. So knowing a bunch of casuals and suddenly you develop a relationship, you're like, oh, I really like that person. They can actually be poached into your comrades, right? Into your life team. Number four, colleagues. We spend a great deal, of time, great deal of time at work, right? About a third of our time is spent at work. So it's important to be with the right people. And you don't have, always have to like hang out with or, or like the people you work with. And you don't have a lot of say in who they are. But as much as possible, it's important to try to work with those who are number one, truly competent, number two, relationally oriented, and number three, work well in teams. This can make your work life energy producing experience so much better, right? Number five, care. These are indiv individuals who are without something that they need and you can provide it for them. So this can range from mentoring a young person um, to get into college or mentoring a young business person or helping volunteer digging wells in another country. Um, our care relationships help make the world a better place. So they're also really important. They also release oxytocin in us because we're giving back and it's a hormone that lifts our spirits, reinforces us to repeat these activities again, okay? So a large part of having a healthy life is giving back. But we also need to be aware that spending too much time and energy in too many care relationships 
can be detrimental. Number six, these are called chronics. Chronics aren't bad people. They're often very good people. However, they have these long-standing patterns of having problems that simply won't go away. Financial woes, family woes, relationship struggles, for example. To help you navigate anxiety and become more mindful, I've created a 20-page workbook for you, completely free. You'll find journal prompts, exercises, and a wealth of information on how you can master anxiety and live a better life. Click the link in the description to download. We all have our challenges, and that's okay, but chronics seem to not be able to learn, right? They don't really learn much from their experiences. They don't tend to take the advice that you give them. They tend to kind of be stuck in where they're at, and they seem to be a little bit too comfortable there. They want to spend time with you, but more because you're a caring and supportive person and less because they actually want to take your advice and apply it to their life, right? You can spend an enormous amount of time and, and meeting time trying to get chronics out of their hole, but you might not see that change. And number seven, contaminants. We all have our issues, but contaminants are another level. They are actually people who have bad motives. They can be envious, they can create division, they can want to manipulate others, they can attack your business, attack your marriage, your family, or you as a person. When you have a clear evidence that you're dealing with a contaminant, warn them of their behavior and then please run. So oftentimes when I talk to people, especially people who are leaders or people who um, you know, are highly effective, like people, they're like, oh, I'm kind of bottom heavy. Um, and so we need to become aware when we have too many cares, chronics, and contaminants in our life and not enough coaches, comrades, and casuals. Imbalance can lead to a loss of energy and a loss of positivity. So how do we rebalance all of this? Here are some suggestions. First, add before you subtract. Something has to change. However, rather than pruning back, try to see if you can access and determine people who are coaches, people who are comrades, and people who are casuals that you can actually spend some more time with and invest more of your relation, relational capital into, right? So this is always difficult because we're busy people but you can cut down on other things, right? Maybe cut down on scrolling on Instagram or playing video games or doing something else and actually try to see if you can create more margin to spend time with these people, to identify them, and just try it out by asking them out for coffee. Quality before quantity. Take your time. Friendship takes time to develop and this is for the long game and that's okay. It's not something you need to rush into. A professor at Kansas University called Jeff, Jeff Hall looked at college students who are newly came to college and also followed them throughout college and also people who moved to a new city because of a job. And he found that it takes about 50 hours to go from consider, 
bring someone, an acquaintance, to a friend. Okay, 50 hours. And then it can be as many as 200 hours to then consider them a best friend. So you, of course, need extra things like, you know, chemistry and affinity and a similar worldview and whatever. But we sometimes don't appreciate how much time we need to invest in friendships in order for them to be good ones, right? People who are care people are not a problem. However, remember that time, energy, and resources are limited. And when you don't have them available, maybe you should be engaging in people who will actually fill you up. And so that means that you might have to calendar and plan for life-giving relationships. I do this all the time with people that I work with. I have them set reminders to connect with people, sometimes every day. Who can I text today to build a connection? Every week, who on a Sunday night, who can I text to make plans with this week for a coffee or for lunch? Using technology can be so, so helpful because if it's not front of mind, we tend to forget this stuff. So it takes intentionality and it's important to actually do that. And then finally, get support for having pruning talks. Make sure your life team knows some of the issues with the chronics and the contaminants and actually help you prioritize these decisions and actually have the hard conversations and can support you after them because they can be hard, right? So this is one half of the story, right? But another part of it is that it's also quite normal for your friendships to change over the course of a lifetime. That's okay. Friendship doesn't need to be a long-standing lifelong thing. You can have cycle of several awesome relationships throughout your lifetime. So yes, we can stay with friends that we were friends with because when they were young and we have a history with them, but sometimes the friendships that we make in adulthood become even closer ones, and that's a good thing. If a relationship is not healthy, if it's not serving you well, if it's not positive, if it's draining, if it's lopsided, one of you is always helping the other, vice versa, it's not gonna be healthy for you. So people need to realize that it's okay to walk away from friendships that aren't good ones. And this is also something I talk about a lot with people where they feel like they can't really have a friendship breakup and I understand that. Friendship breakups are even harder than romantic relationship breakups, I think, because romantic relationships, there's an expectation that there's an end date if it's not the right one, right? However, with friendships, it's a lot more nebulous. So when you're interacting with your friends, it's also helpful to think about your side of it. Am I contributing to a good and healthy reciprocal relationship? Have I been helpful lately? What was the last time or when was the last time I did something nice and helpful or appreciated someone? Am I a reliable presence in that person's life? Sometimes it's good to kind of take a look at ourselves and say, hmm, how am I doing on this, right? If a friendship is no longer reciprocal or doesn't feel safe or it feels like you've had a breach of trust, maybe start moving that person to some of the outer circles of intimacy, right? We can do that casually by just sort of being a little bit busier. That's okay. Investing less time in them and bringing that time into other relationships that actually are reciprocal. And if they won't go away and if they keep on reaching out, 
and keep on doing their toxic thing, you might have to have a hard conversation, but it will be worth it. So my friends, the importance of friendships is undeniable. And one of the ways that we thrive in life, friendships need nurture and care and intentionality just as much as our family relationships and our romantic partners. Oftentimes our friendships are there for the long haul when those other relationships aren't. So this week, take some time to evaluate the friendships in your life. Do they create positivity? Are they supportive? Do they allow you to be open? Is there regular interaction? What about your seven C's? What do you want them to look like? Take intentional steps to invest in people who will fill you up. And don't be afraid to let go of those who aren't bringing out the best in you in this season. Sometimes that will give room for those who are actually meant to be there. 